Well, last week we were reminded that we are all in the ministry together. And we were challenged to be ministers like Paul. We noted that we may never have to go through the physical suffering that he experienced to be faithful servants and stewards of the mysteries of God which, with which we've been entrusted. But we should experience the emotional pressure that Paul felt while striving to confront, teach, and present every man complete in Christ. Being in the ministry is a challenge for all of us. And it was an even bigger challenge for Paul, especially when he was striving to minister to the Colossians from house arrest a thousand miles away. What could he do for them from Rome? What might he hope to accomplish? Well, surprisingly, his goals in ministry to them were extensive, and he worked hard to accomplish them. In fact, he struggled, he said, to get the job done. The most didn't know it or even know him. But when he wrote to them, he wanted them to know of the unseen struggle that was taking place on their behalf. And he wanted them to know what he hoped to accomplish in their lives through the struggle. And since it is true that there are occasions when we all feel as if no one really cares about us or is doing anything to help us, it's good to be reminded of the unseen struggles that are being waged on our behalf by those who do care. I think parents understand this because they struggle in many ways behind the scenes for their children. And while parenting and being the disciplinarian they must be, they know that their kids need regular assurances that they really do care about them. Likewise, Paul was a spiritual father to multitudes, many who didn't even know him, and he wanted them to know of his struggles on their behalf. And the first thing he wanted them to know was simply that he struggled for the encouragement of their hearts. We're in Colossians, ready to start the second chapter. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. Back in verse 29 of the first chapter, Paul spoke of striving to be able to present them complete in Christ. And here he said he wanted them to know how much he was struggling on their behalf, striving and struggling. They actually share the same root word in Greek, and it's a word for agony or to agonize. Paul was saying that he agonized on their behalf and on behalf of those in Laodicea, a sister city in the Lycus Valley, he wanted them to know that as a minister, he didn't just agonize over those he personally led to Christ. He even agonized over the saints he didn't know. 
and who had never met him. And he said he struggled greatly on their behalf. But how could he? How could he really struggle greatly on their behalf a thousand miles from them? Well, obviously he could worry about them. He could even agonize over them, hoping they were getting the encouragement they needed to remain faithful to Christ. And he could worry that they weren't loving each other as much as they should. But what could he actually do for them? Well, he could pray for them. In fact, he had already assured them that he was doing just that. He said he prayed for them regularly and that he hadn't ceased praying for them since hearing of their faith and their love and the way they were growing in the Lord. And now he says he wants them to know how great a struggle he had on their behalf, that their hearts would be encouraged and that they would be knit together in love. I'm guessing his struggle took place in prayer. You know, I really doubt that his prayers on their behalf were quick, little, and Lord, bless the saints in Colossae. (laughs) I've got a feeling his prayers were more like those of Jesus in the garden. That Paul agonized in prayer over the Colossians. I've got to be honest here. That challenges me. Because I can't remember the last time I actually agonized in prayer for anyone, let alone someone I didn't even know. When I'm aware of a need, I do try to remember to pray about it. But I've never sweat drops of blood in prayer. And quite frankly, I... I don't believe we need to storm the gates of heaven to get what we want or that we need to fast and clothe ourselves in sackcloth to convince God that we're serious. But maybe we do take prayer too lightly. Maybe we would see more dramatic results in the lives of others if we did agonize in prayer over them. And maybe we'd be more effective in our ministries if we prayed more like Paul. He agonized in prayer over the spiritual battles his brethren were facing. And he could really do so because he understood what they were going through. You see, Paul was going through the very same battles himself. Paul was in house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. His missionary activities had been brought to a screeching halt. I'm sure he had his questions, his doubts, his trials, his temptations. I'm sure he needed encouragement and the assurance that he was loved and remembered. I'm sure he had to struggle to maintain his own faith at times. And he did so not only for his own sake, but for the sake of those who looked to him for an example. You know, what would it have done to churches and believers all over Asia and Europe if Paul had suffered a crisis of faith, had thrown in the towel, 
and concluded that God had abandoned him. For their sake, he had to maintain his faith in God and his faithfulness to God. And I think everyone understands that those in ministry are under obligation to practice what they preach and to be what they want others to be. And like everyone else, it's a struggle for those in ministry to remain faithful. In fact, I think it's even more of a struggle for them because the enemy works harder to bring them down. He knows that nothing discourages believers more than failure, especially moral failure, which comes because of a lack of faith in God's presence and his provision. Failure on the part of those who minister to them. Nothing is more discouraging than that. And so Paul struggled to maintain faithful to the Lord and to the people's rightful expectations of him. As must every minister, every elder, every Sunday school teacher, every youth sponsor, every one of us. Because we are all in the ministry. And we all strive to serve the one we call Lord. And our faithfulness or lack of it not only affects us, it affects everyone who knows us. So we struggle for, with, and on behalf of each other. Especially those with whom we have been knit together in love, with whom we have been interwoven by the love of Christ. Everything we do affects everyone else, whether we know it or not. So we pray for each other. And we struggle to maintain a life, a witness, that will bring encouragement to the hearts of fellow believers, whether we know them or not. That in itself is quite a struggle, but that wasn't the end of Paul's struggle on behalf of the Colossians. He also struggled for the assurance of their understanding. Paul said he struggled so they could attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As stewards of the mystery of God, we've been entrusted with the ministry of mystery to be made known to others. A mystery that was hidden for generations, but has now been revealed to us. A mystery that no one can resolve on their own. The mystery of God's involvement in our life. How God came to earth in the form of a man to be our Savior and Redeemer. And to then actually indwell us, to live within us through His Spirit. That's a mystery no one can figure out on their own. And that's a mystery that gives meaning to life to everything we do, 
It's the mystery that makes sense out of life. And nothing frustrates people more than not understanding life. So Paul said he struggled to enable the Colossians to have the full assurance of understanding, not not a vague notion about the meaning and purpose of life, but full assurance of understanding. He wanted them to know why they were here, where they were going, and why they were going through what it was they were going through. He wanted their lives to make sense. And where do we find such knowledge? We don't find it in modern psychology or ancient philosophy or even religious pondering. It can only be found in the person of Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. True understanding of life can only come from the one who gave us life in the first place, our Creator. Now, that's not to say that wisdom and knowledge can't be found in the creation, that we should ignore what we see all around us or what others have discovered. There's nothing wrong with learning all we can, with pursuing higher education, But the real treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the things of eternal value, can only be found in Christ, in the Creator. And He has revealed them to us in His person and in the written record. It's now our job to make Him known to others. And that is something we have to struggle with. To accomplish. You know, Paul struggled to be able to reveal Christ to others. That's what his journeys were all about. And he was struggling in prison to be able to reveal Christ to others. It was from prison that he wrote many of his epistles. And he didn't simply jot down things off the top of his head. Now, it's true. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But that does not mean God's word just flowed out of his mouth and off his fingertips. Luke was also inspired, but he had to struggle to write his gospel and acts. He tells us about it and about the process in Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, O excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. I'm convinced Paul had to struggle to compose his letters as well. It's no small task to teach or preach the mysteries of God. It takes hours of unseen struggle to be able to reveal the treasures hidden in Christ 
and to bring God's people to full assurance of understanding. But Paul was willing to do it. So am I. So is Mark. So are our elders and teachers and sponsors. You'd be amazed at the hours of preparation that go into teaching the truths of God's Word. We don't take that lightly. Not at all. And neither should you. Because you too have been called to be a minister. To share the mysteries of God that have been revealed to you. And to bring the assurance of understanding to others. That means you have to study the Word. You have to know it. You have to be able to teach it. We all should struggle to present men the understanding they need to understand life. Paul was willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. I trust you're willing to do that. And like Paul, we struggle to do that because we want everyone's faith to be stable and solid. Paul said, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Paul wanted the Colossians to be secure in their faith, to have full understanding, to have true knowledge of God's mystery, to have the treasure of wisdom that would last for all eternity. And he wanted them to know that they had it so they wouldn't be deluded into thinking they needed something else. Paul knew that there were many who would try to delude believers with persuasive arguments. In fact, the Colossians had already been confronted by some and some had been persuaded. Paul wanted to stem that tide. And he sought to do so by praying and writing and by reminding them that even though he was absent from them in body, he was with them in spirit. He not only wanted them to be prepared for battle, he wanted them to know that he was standing with them. How reassuring it is to know that we are not standing alone. And that we are not the first to face the persuasive arguments of the enemy. And there's real comfort in knowing that those with greater understanding and education than we are standing with us. I had a professor in college who was greatly annoyed by someone who asked him what we believed about something. He enjoyed declaring that he had told her, well, I don't know what you believe, but I know what I believe. I don't think Paul would have said that. I don't think she was seeking for an answer without grappling with the issue herself. I think she was simply looking for assurance that what she believed was shared by someone who was more knowledgeable than she was. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, there's no guarantee 
that someone with a Ph.D. understands the mysteries revealed to us in Christ. But it is good to find some who do. And it's good to know that the challenges to our faith have been successfully met by others. Now, even if we're not as skilled in using our sword as they are, it's good to know there are some really smart people on our side in the battle for truth. And Paul said he rejoiced to see that the Colossians were maintaining good discipline and stability of faith. The words have a military connotation. The word for discipline pictures straight lines in the troops. And the word for stability pictures a united front. Paul rejoiced to see that the troops in Colossae, for the most part, were in good shape. And I'm sure the Colossians rejoiced to know Paul was in the lines with them, even though they couldn't see him. We, too, must keep our lines straight and maintain a united front in the face of the enemy. That's the only way we can stand. And that's the way our faith is made stable. Now, that's not to suggest that our faith will be made stable and secure only if we stand united with those in positions of influence or acquiesce to a majority opinion. Authorities and majorities can be wrong. So we don't take a vote to determine the truth. We don't line up behind people just because they think they're important and claim to have knowledge. The ground of our faith, however, is true. Our faith is in the person of Christ, without whom we could not stand and without whom we could do nothing. So we stand united together with him, knit together in love, knowing our victory is secure. Knowing that he already defeated the enemy, having fought an unseen struggle in heaven for our sake. Struggles have been fought and are still being fought for our sake. And just knowing that should give us the stability and the discipline needed to stand firm in our faith. We're able to do that because of Christ, without whom we could do nothing.